Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. American Glutton Podcast has a Patreon. Do you hate commercials? Well, we've got a Patreon. Do you want bonus episodes? That's on the Patreon. Do you want to hang out and chat in our Discord channel? That's part of the Patreon, too. We even have an option where you can leave me voicemails. All on the Patreon. So check it out today. Patreon.com slash American Glutton. We have a Patreon. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show... Please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. American Glutton is brought to you by Trifecta. Trifecta is the perfect tool for diet and maintenance adherence. It reduces time, thought, and effort in making sure I am never without the food I need to succeed. Go to www.trifectanutrition.com slash American Glutton where you will get 40% off your first order. Today on American Glutton, my guest is Ted Naiman. Ted is going to share his philosophy on diet with us and tell us all about his book, The P.E. Diet. We talk about protein intake, calories, and everything in between. Ted also has a special offer for our listeners. You can find his book at thepediet.com where he's giving away the first 120 copies to anyone who uses the code SUPLEE in the PDF download link. Ted Naiman, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Oh, wow, man. Thanks for having me. Nice to talk to you. Good to talk to you, too. I've heard a lot about you from other people on social media. Like a lot of people have recommended you to me. And I know nothing about I, I, I mean, I'm familiar with the, the title of your book, right? P.E.? No. Right, right. Yeah. The P.E. Diet. The, the P.E. Diet. Yeah. 
which to me, I hear PE, I think physical education, which maybe it means that, but I think it has a different, another meaning. Like it's good to educate ourselves on many facets of physicality, but I, I want to hear all about it. Sure, man. Well, yeah, PE is physical education is good too. That's what it really should be. But yeah, basically uh, this is called the PE diet and it stands for protein to energy. And it's looking at diet from sort of this agnostic, non-religious, first principles, big picture kind of thing about protein versus non-protein energy in your diet. And uh, what I did here is just kind of zoomed way, way out and looked at like, what is eating? What what e- What is eating to begin with? So basically plants make all the food for all the animals on the planet. And then animals either eat plants or an animal that ate plants. And what the plants are doing is basically giving you three things, right? The first thing they're doing is uh, creating energy. So plants take sunlight, solar energy, and carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and perform photosynthesis and create chemical energy, which is really just long chains of carbon. So all of your um, hydrocarbons, which is fat, and carbohydrates, which is carbs, are just chains of carbons with basically high energy carbon, carbon, and carbon hydrogen bonds. And that's all the energy that all animals ingest that we're constantly burning. And so humans basically get all our energy from carbs or fats. And they're a little bit different in how they're stored and transported around your body and water soluble or not water soluble, but they're basically interchangeable. And so humans can live on these super high carb, low fat diets or super low fat, high carb diets. Um, the other thing that plants are doing is sucking minerals up from the soil. And you need a couple dozen elements from the soil that are basically essential for life on earth. And the most notable of which is nitrogen, which is the critical component of amino acids which make a protein. And so protein is totally different from carbs and fats. Protein is used in your body mostly structurally and for function, all of your hormones, your enzymes, and the things that do things in your body are made of protein. So you can kind of like zoom way out and look at diet in general from this like protein and minerals and micronutrients versus non-protein energy, which is just pure interchangeable carbs and fats. And doing this allows you to kind of be agnostic versus uh, like looking at low carb versus low fat, you know, and uh, things like plants versus animals and all that just actually fades into the background. And this becomes some sort of meta diet concept that allows you to kind of transcend all the, you know, the constant low carb versus low fat wars and the plant versus animal wars. And, you know, once you read this book, you realize, wow, all those things are kind of just a distraction. Yeah, I mean, I find those things to be uh, such a distraction anyways, like um, the way my diet is today, I, 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 I eat carb, I eat higher carbs and lower fat or higher fat and lower carbs, literally depending on what I'm doing that day and, and what I need the energy from. Um, so so I, I love that that's what you're talking about, because I do think at the end of the day, uh, it really is all just how we're fueling ourselves. Yeah, exactly. You're basically using carbs or fat as just an energy source. And sure, there's differences. Carbs are a lot faster. You know, you can uh, break carbs and you can break glucose in half and perform glycolysis and do glycolytic exercise and get energy, you know, six times faster than fat. And so fat's more of this slow, uh, long distance endurance fuel and carbs are more of a, you know, fast acting jet fuel 
And, you know, fat um, has basically a very passive effect on your whole metabolism. Your, your body doesn't really change when you eat more fat, but carbs have a higher effect on your metabolism where you eat enough carbohydrate and it switches all your oxidation over from fat to glucose. So there are these subtleties in terms of what they do to whole body metabolism and how they're stored and uh, which is better for which kind of exercise. But uh, overall, you're looking at just basically interchangeable energy sources. And most humans can live on these super high carb, super low fat diets or vice versa. When we have studies where you do isocaloric substitution, doesn't seem to be much difference either way. Right. So is, are you advocating for more for, for high protein? Like, is that what you're saying the energy source should be? Uh, well, so what I'm advocating for is basically satiety per calorie. If you look at pretty much every human on the planet, right, they're eating until they're not hungry anymore. So, you know, the entire planet is basically this ad lib caloric intake study where everybody just eats till they're not hungry. That's basically how every human works always, all the time, anywhere. So you're basically eating until you're not hungry anymore. Turns out that humans have this incredibly powerful protein satiety drive. And so you're basically going to eat and eat and eat and eat until you get enough protein and only then are you not going to be hungry. And this is called protein leverage. And this is a um, really only discovered about a decade ago. But uh, this is a very powerful thing that's conserved in most animals from insects all the way up to humans. And it's um, it's this super tight conservation of protein intakes. So you can have wildly varying carbon fat intakes or even total energy intakes. But you're pretty much just going to eat this certain amount of protein. And it's quite wild. If you look at the entire planet, right, you've got societies where people eat super high carb, super low fat, like Japan. And you've got uh, countries where they, you know, super high fat, super low carb, like Germany. And then, but everybody's at this like, boom, 14, 15% protein everywhere on the planet, no matter where you look. And we see this ridiculously narrow range of protein in humans where, um, you know, but 60 years ago, before the obesity epidemic, people ate, you know, certain grams of protein. Um, and now today, boom, same exact grams of protein almost entirely. But we, you know, two or 300 grams more per day of carbs and also of fats equally. And all, every single extra calorie from the obesity epidemic came exclusively from carbs and fats, not from protein at all. So what ended up happening was protein dilution. We dumped all these refined carbs and fats in the food supply, sugar, flour, oil, diluted the hell out of protein. Now everybody has to eat more carbs and fats just to get enough protein to not be hungry. So not only do you have this like protein versus energy way of looking at your diet, but you've got this protein leverage phenomenon where if you have too much protein dilution in the foods in your environment, you're basically forced to overeat non-protein energy, carbs and fats, just to get enough protein and not be hungry. So I'm also really looking at satiety per calorie. And uh, probably the single most important factor when it comes to ad-lib caloric intake is protein percentage. If you look at every single study in the history of medical literature everywhere on the planet, in humans and in animals, if you're doing an ad-lib calorie intake study, the first thing you have to do is just fix protein the same, right? Because protein percent is everything. You can literally take any omnivore mammal, put them on like a 50% protein diet, and immediately they just get thinner and thinner and thinner. Their ad-lib caloric intake goes way down. You're going to get 
um, animals with the highest lean mass, the lowest fat mass, they're going to automatically eat less. You, you can feed them ad lib. And so protein percent is huge. It's just this massive, massive driver of ad lib energy intake. It's probably the single biggest rock in the jar when it comes to how much calories any animal is going to eat, humans included, we're no exception. And I feel like that doesn't get enough uh, airtime and enough uh, play in the like the diet discussions. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, well, not know, only that, there, there, there's a lot of uh, bad information out there, too. Like too much protein will damage your liver or not your liver, your kidneys. Sorry. Um, I've read that, the, although there's no study that can be linked to that from what I've and I've looked for it. Um, but, uh, there, there are people that will knock protein though. I, I, I mean, I'm not, I completely agree with you. Like, uh, I switched over after having done basically keto for a long time. And I found that I could overeat fat pretty much. No problem. Like I could eat and eat and eat, uh, abundance of fat and so much so that I wasn't really losing weight anymore. And when I switched over to focusing more on protein, it became actually difficult for me to consume all that food. You know, like the first couple of months trying to hit the amount of protein that I wanted to hit wasn't easy. Yeah, I mean, that's that's exactly right. That's perfect. That's brilliant. And uh, and and like you said, honestly, if you're not paying attention to protein percentage, you can just blow through right uh, right through any kind of fad diet. So you could go on a strict keto diet, but, um, you know, if it's fairly low protein, you're basically eating a ton of grams of fat every day and burning the same amount of fat and you're just not going to lose any more weight. Uh, you could go on a you know paleo diet and just, you know, eat like bananas and dates and fruit smoothies and all these paleo foods that are low in protein and you're just going to eat right through it. You could do, you know, intermittent fasting and just eat in a one hour window, but like just eat all this low protein garbage and you're starving out of your mind. And you, you can basically just blow right through any diet um, hack or religion or protocol or diet camp or whatever you want to call it. And if you're not paying attention to the protein percentage, you're going to completely fail on that. And then I kind of did the same thing that you've done and everybody else has done. You know, I went like, you know, low carb and paleo and keto and carnivore and all these diet religions. And I've basically just like fallen right down through all of them in this same sort of downward spiral. We're all in the, until you end up just eating nothing, but you know, raw, <laughs> raw beef, like in one hour window a day or something. But you well, know, that's I, the thing now too. The dude is on there. He's eating raw liver and, and beef testicles. And I'm like, what are we doing in what universe are you going to get people to actually do that as a diet? I don't buy it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and that and it's like the exact opposite of what, what you want, because you really want the very, very least restrictive diet you can possibly get for long term maintenance, right? For 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 long term sustainability and for compliance, you want the least restrictive diet you can possibly stand. You want no rules. You want to be able to eat plants, animals, 23 and a half hours a day. Um, you want to be able to eat carbs. You want to be able to eat fats. You want to be able to eat every food group. You don't want to be, have some paleo religious reasons why you can't eat a lentil or some, you know, like plants are trying to kill you carnivore thing. Like you just want to just get rid of all of that. And, and my strategy is basically getting rid of all of this mystical religious dietary dogma camp bullshit that 
basically is not value added because if you're not paying attention to the bigger picture, which is basically protein and calories, you're going to do it wrong and all those diets are going to fail you eventually. So I'm like, let's just zoom way, way out, look at the big picture, focus on what's actually important and kind of give up on all these little things that really don't work. Yeah. No, that's a great point, man. I, I, and, and as you're saying it, I'm literally thinking, because I know you're, you're analogizing, analogizing the, um, the, these diet movements to religion, religious positions, which I think is absolutely correct. But I even have like kosher friends in New York who, if they want to eat a steak, we have to go all the way uptown to the kosher steakhouse because there's there's only one that I've been taken to because I don't eat kosher. Because And if I want to have a steak, there are steakhouses on every block just about in New York that I can go to to eat a steak. But for them, it's like this big thing. And 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 that's true. Like if you want to in the in the landscape of America, right, we're not hunter gatherers anymore. And uh, one of the byproducts has been obesity. And if you want to succeed after, especially for many of us who have had many failures on diets by trying these fad diets, by going, oh, the only thing that's wrecking my my goal to being the right weight is lectins. So I'm going to give up lectins. And guess what? That had no effect on my weight at all because I ate the shit out of everything else when I started peeling my cucumbers or, or whatever version of this is. It's like being realistic. What did you eat on your way to being there? Now, if you can get some version of that, that's as the least restrictive as possible, maybe you're going to be set up for the best success. I think that's really smart. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that, man. Let's get rid of all these little rules that are not really helping anyone that are just basically completely tangential to the real big picture. And, um, and, and let's see, you know, and that makes it easier. Like, you know, people are at the end of the day, people are going to do what's easy and what's accessible and what they've got nearby. And if you can get rid of a lot of the rules and like, you know, I can only eat like, you know, cow testicles that have been like, you know, in one hour a day and they have to be free range and local and organic. Yeah, I mean, like, just let's let's make it a lot easier for people. And I'm all about just. What's the biggest lever you can pull and then ignore everything else? So the whole point of the book is like this Pareto principle where, you know, 20% of the knowledge and the effort and the direction is going to give you 80% of your results. And that's what this is all about. Yeah, that's amazing. By the way, I think one of the things on the chopping block, even trying to do this, and I'd love to talk to you about this because, you know, I travel a lot for work and find myself you know, going through airports or waking up in strange towns. And my first, usually my first goal is like find a grocery store because I can make any grocery store work for me. But in certain towns I've been to, it's like, there is no grocery store. There's a market or there's a gas station, right? Or there's just a McDonald's or something like this. It's really, really hard to find anything protein forward at any fast food or anything super processed. Yeah, no, no, it is. And, and honestly, that's purely economic, right? So basically, you know, we subsidize all these like cheap grain crops. And so like, we're just awash in like cereal grains and uh, sugar and flour and oils, dirt cheap. And this stuff has like a huge profit margin and a shelf life of a billion years. And uh, 
all, all the companies are just making basically refined packaged carbs and fats because uh, they're addictive and people overeat them and it has, you don't require any refrigeration or cooking or anything like that. And protein's always the most expensive. Protein's the most expensive macro biome order of magnitude. It's the heart. It's the most expensive to produce. It's got the lowest profit margins. You've got all this, you know, refrigeration and cooking and storage and spoilage and all. It's just so much harder to get, harder to cook, harder to find, harder to refrigerate. Hard. It's just way less convenient. And it does make it an uphill battle. And, and a big chunk of the obesity epidemic is just purely economic, right? Companies are just making and selling and having available what's uh, cheap and tasty and um easy and so like you really have to go out of your way to get more protein it is literally more expensive right like so you know if you want if you go in the grocery store um the price of everything in there goes up with the protein content period like carbs and fats are basically free it's all about the protein um also energy density the higher the energy density is the cheaper it is so like sugar and oil is like free but, you know, your salad, your, your lettuce and your cucumbers and your low energy density stuff with a higher protein percentage like green vegetables, very expensive and very hard to get a hold of if you're in a food desert or something like that. So you, you have to really learn some hacks. You know what I mean? It's like everywhere you go, you have to like, you know, look for a salad, throw some extra lean protein on there. It is going to cost you more. Um, you have to figure out, you know, how, how can I eat a high protein food? in every fast food restaurant that I go to. So, and, and you can do it. Like I can go to any fast food restaurant and I know the one thing that I can order that's going to be pretty awesome. Like I can go to McDonald's and get a, you know, a salad with a grilled chicken breast on it. And I can go to, you know, Starbucks and get this, uh, you know, salad thing. And I can go to, uh, you know, Chipotle and get a salad bowl with uh, double chicken or something. I can always like modify stuff but that it, it's a skill that you have to learn and it's very difficult and it's not easy. And you have to, it's just, you know, like the average person is just not set up to do that. And it is hard. Yeah. I, I yeah, hear no, it. That's a problem. And like, I can't wait to try a grilled chicken salad from McDonald's. To be honest with you, I'm going to eat that at some point very soon, just because I haven't been to McDonald's in years, but I was going to my kids uh, uh, really like to get this, um, chai tea uh, and there and there's two versions there's one that's actual tea and one that's like a syrupy drink and I, I, they get the tea version at um starbucks and i would eat these uh, sous vide egg white bites because i'm going like egg whites seem pretty damn safe but then like when you even look at those they've pumped some extra fat in there like it's more fat than just a whole egg you know so they are doing sneaky stuff like that yeah, you're right. I mean, I I myself get the uh, sous vide egg white red pepper uh, yeah. egg whites at Starbucks. It's one of the best options on the menu. And they're and delicious. It's, and it's not that great. I mean, it's not that amazing from a protein percentage. You're right. right. It's just barely okay. <laughs> yeah, right. It's the best they've got. Like if in a pinch, like you're going to survive eating that, you're, you know, and for me, I take this very seriously. I'm also a sober person and I liken my, um, eating habits to sobriety because there are similar, similar com compulsions for me. Um, but like, so I don't feel like it's not me giving up and eating a big Mac, you know, which has almost no protein or astronomically low protein versus the ca calorie count. Uh, it's better than that, but it's still like, you guys had to like pump in the extra fat in here. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I could maybe stay weight stable if I just ate nothing but those egg bites, but I'd have to probably do an extra half an hour of cardio inside the Starbucks <laughs> just to not yeah. gain weight. It's pretty sad. And that is the best thing on the menu by like a mile. It's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's wild to me that that uh, that this is the landscape that we live in because it's such a bizarre problem when you examine history for so long we as a species were fighting tooth and nail you know and then like you talked about the plants needing nitrogen the the when they figured out like pulling that out of the air and being able to pump it back into the ground like that was such a boon and and an actual population boom happened because it was like oh we can feed a lot more people now and now we cut to today where like in america there's there's like no famine, you know, I mean, we could get into, um, you know, obese, but malnourished people like that's a whole other. So you could consider that there's some famine there and yet they're morbidly obese. So they're you know what I mean? Like it's this mind fuck practically of like what's happening. There's so much food. It's so inexpensive. And now look at the the, un the unintended consequences of like our health is in decline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is a nightmare. It's all about the food environment. And there's basically two things that are going on that drive the entire obesity epidemic. Uh, the first one is protein dilution, right? So like you said, nobody in America is malnourished. Everyone's getting enough protein to get by. But how many carbs and fats did you literally have to eat to get that protein, right? Like the average American female uh, adult female in America weighs 170 pounds and eats 71 grams of protein a day, right? Now you can be alive and function on 71 grams of protein. It's not a lot extra for like building muscle or bone or anything like that, but you're getting by. But the problem is they have to literally eat, you know, an extra thousand calories of carbs and fats to get that protein from the protein dilute foods in the environment. So the one thing driving obesity forward is basically protein dilution, right? Every food in your environment is hugely protein diluted. You know, hunter gatherers eat like 30% protein and in America, the food's 12.5% protein. So you're basically wow. just boom, eating, you know, way more carbon fats to the protein. The other half of it is, is basically we've put all these high energy density carbs and high energy density fats together in these foods. And when the protein's gone, it's basically high energy density carbon fats together. And that particular combination is not found in nature and it's incredibly addictive and rewarding and hedonic and basically almost has a drug-like effect on your brain. It's so rewarding because, you know, uh, throughout evolution, we were looking for any kind of high energy density carbon fat food to stay alive during the winter time or whatever. So basically you've got the hedonic nature of high energy density carbon fats together, uh, addictively making people eat more. And then you've got the protein dilution and having to eat more anyway to get enough protein. So it's like this push pull effect. And the combination of those two together pretty much explains the entire obesity epidemic. And that's what's going on. And it's basically the food just having extra refined carbs and fats dumped in uh, and protein dilution. Yeah. And do you, do you think there's a universe where so many people start, you know, because I think the market could sort this out if people en masse started just, you know, buying stuff that was protein forward with less carbs and fat that you would start to see more options like that at, um, you know, the convenient places to eat like a drive through. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's all just economic. I don't think anyone's like, let's see, you know, how we can 
basically make everybody fat for our right. evil and nefarious purposes. I think it's just purely economic. And uh, if uh, that's what people were buying and that's what people wanted, you'd see more and more and more of that. Um, I think the problem is just, it's like, you know, there's so many logistical factors that, you know, a lot of people don't want to spend the extra money and a lot of people don't want to do any cooking and that sort of thing. So like there, there are things getting in the way of everyone tomorrow, just choosing these more expensive protein options. But yeah, we would definitely see the food that we get the food that we deserve. So the food industry is making whatever we want and buy and eat. They're there for us. You know what I'm saying? And uh, like, we're just voting with our wallets all the time. And now we've got like Oreos and corn oil or whatever, instead of, you know, <laughs> instead of like salad and chicken breast or whatever. Right. Yeah. A- a- any vegetable and any lean protein source. Right. That's like the last thing that, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's almost even difficult to go out to a restaurant where I'm telling people like, please don't cook this in oil and I'll have my veggies steamed or raw, you know? And I'm getting these bizarre looks and it's like, you know, I think to make stuff hyper palatable, you just pump it up with sugar and fat. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be tastier. You're going to get better reviews. People are going to buy more, eat more. Um, And so it's a huge win to even like you point out in the restaurant secretly add in energy density and carbs and fats. You're going to people are just going to think it tastes better. But man, it's not it's not good for uh, the obesity problem we have going on here. So yeah, I hear what you're saying, and that's where like a couple things are at odds with each other. You know, the economics uh, versus what what we should be eating versus what we want to eat. Yeah, and do you think this is a failure of um, the educational? Because I believe the the um, that. Um not the FDA, whatever the, whoever creates the food pyramid for, for America, I believe they recommend 50 grams of protein a day, which for me sounds like, you know, I would be miserable and wasting, like my muscle would start to deteriorate if I, if that was my target. But if that's what uh, the public is being told, you just have to hit 50 grams a day. And on average, the public is is growing larger and larger. Like we we can actually see that you go to any old town. Everything was much smaller. We as people are becoming larger, not just fat, but just bigger bodied people. Um, 50 grams seems like an awful small amount of protein. Yeah, yeah. No, there there is definitely failures of education there. I mean, like uh, if every person on Earth knew that hunter gatherers eat at least 30% of their calories from protein and we're at 12 and percent in America. And that you could literally cure every single pre-diabetic on earth by cranking protein up to 30% of their calories and just letting them eat as much as they wanted. If people knew this stuff, if this was widely um, known and taught, uh, I think you would see people going out of their way to up the protein percentage of the foods that they were choosing and buying. And then I think that would drive some change. Uh, but nobody knows this stuff. Like, I mean, you just, I would, you know, I went to freaking medical school. I didn't learn none of this stuff. Like I just learned like, Oh, if, if you think something's wrong with somebody's kidneys, they should just basically eat as little protein as possible. And we think probably plants are the best diet for some mystical religious reason. And that's what I was right. So like, it's just, basically not um not public knowledge and so you're right there is some failure of education there and that might be because people at the very top 
don't understand this either. Like they're not getting that either. I think they're like, oh, we'll just eat fewer calories. You know, just get a smaller plate. Uh, just see, you know, just just cut your calories in half. Uh, yeah, that's not going to work. Like literally, everyone is already eating to satiety. They can't eat to less than satiety. No one's going to do that. It's never going to work in a billion years. So the whole approach is screwed up, top to bottom. Yeah. Well, I would say that, like for me, I know I can blow past satiety as far as eating. Like I can compulsively just keep putting food in my mouth. It is very, very difficult to do that with chicken breast. It's just really difficult or broccoli. You know, if you put cheese or if you candy the broccoli or do something like that, it becomes really easy, right? If you uh, sous vide it or confit it with fat, not so hard, but like sitting there, if I have two pounds of chicken breast or if like that's what I'm going to eat in a day, it's actually work to get through it. So I think there is a point there. Now, I don't know. That's that's really anecdotal for me, but I will say that having done super low calorie diets, that's just something that was never a forever goal. Like, like I knew like this is for a very short period of time and pretty much every time they ended, I put on excess weight because I ate way too much or I didn't gradually come into whatever maintenance calories I should have been at. Like I, my, my ideas around that were really, it was just like the idea was just lose weight to X number and then I'm fixed. Right. And I, I learned very quickly that that was not true though. I tried this over and over again. And then when it was, um, you know, this idea that if you just eat, if you just that I was allergic to carbohydrates. So I just eliminated carbohydrates thinking that that would be the goal. And I did lose some weight doing that, but I learned very quick that I could overeat fat pretty much no problem. The thing I have not been able to overeat is lean protein. It, it's just not, I, I can't do it. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Like, like everybody could go on a low fat diet <laughs> And lose, you know, like, like 20 pounds and then stall out forever because they're just eating so much cereal or whatever. And everyone could go on a low carb diet and lose 20 pounds and boom, just stall out forever because they're eating like cheese and nuts and butter and all this stuff. But nobody is just like I could take any overweight person and just trap them on a desert island with unlimited amounts of like fish and salad greens. Like you literally will just cruise right down your ideal body weight and stay there forever. And it won't matter if you it was paleo or lectins or plants versus animals. It's not going to matter if it was like uh, packaged or not. It's not going to matter. And not, all of that stuff just fades in the background. Oh, intermittent fasting, like they can only eat fish and salad in a six hour window on the desert island. All this crap just, just completely fades in the background. And it's just all about protein percent and nutrient density, which is protein and minerals versus energy density, which is like empty calorie carbs and fats. And you just automatically eat to satiety of foods that are high in satiety per calorie. And uh, I think the big, big difference is basically satiety per calorie. How much satiety did you get from the calories you ate? If it's sugar, flour, and oil, it's like hideously low. If it's fish and salad greens, it's so high that you literally can't overeat if you tried. Like I could, you know, put a gun in somebody's head and say, gain, you know, 100 pounds on this fish and salad greens. And you literally cannot do it. You basically won't do it. I mean, it's just impossible. So now, this, I feel this, like this is the claim. This is the claim, though, that I hear from a lot of keto people. And and I had to, I've had to say numerous times to keto people like, look, I did 
keto for years. And the only way I continued to lose weight after a portion of time, like there would always be a period of time where in the beginning I'm losing weight. And then there would always come a point where I just had to reduce calories. And I'm just calling it calories because I understand calories more. At the time, I was just reducing food. So I would go like, I'm cutting my meals in half and I'd start losing weight again. But now I'm suddenly hungry. And the whole point of doing keto is not to be hungry. Now, I personally have agree entirely with what you're saying because I've experienced it. But are there have there been studies on people being able to overeat chicken breast or uh, cod? I mean, we have animal studies where you get you can basically take any omnivore mammal and crank their protein percent up and they'll just eat basically less and less and less up to about 50 percent protein. And it it does seem to be uh, more or less impossible for any animal to overeat these things. So I, I think that, yeah, it's it's uh, we don't have any studies where any any humans have been successfully fattened up by overeating protein. I mean, and we, we do have these amazing studies where you just take someone's existing diet, dump a thousand calories of protein right on top of it, and they do not get any fatter at all. What happens is lean mass goes up a little, energy expenditure goes up a lot, and you just basically stay at the same weight. And so you, you pretty much can't get fat from protein overfeeding. We do have protein overfeeding studies in humans, and nobody's successfully gotten fatter from it. That's incredible. That's incredible. I mean, that's advocate. That's a great advocacy right there for just like increase your 0% Greek yogurt or your chicken breast or your salmon or whatever, your broccoli. Cause I know that's got protein in it too. Like that's pretty cool. Yeah. The protein overfeeding studies are like amazing. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, I do wish more people knew about this. Like if you're going to overeat anything, try to overeat protein and good luck. You know, it's right. just not happening. What do you, what do you recommend? Like, what are your targets for people? I know you've said 30% a number of times, but is that what you're trying to get people to do? Well, so 30% is a pretty good goal. If you're just on a isocaloric maintenance diet, right? Like if I'm just doing average amount of uh, exercise, I'm just an average person, you know, with an average step count, everything's average. Yeah. 30% of calories and protein would be a really solid goal for your average person on maintenance calories. Now, it gets a little weird to talk about percent if you're trying to uh, eat more calories or less calories. You know, if I'm uh, running uh, ultra marathons or training for an Ironman or something and I'm burning an extra 6,000 calories a day, uh, okay, now my protein percent could fall way down to 10%. I'm still eating the same absolute amount of protein, but I'm just like drinking Gatorade all day long. Uh, or if I'm, you know, a bodybuilder prepping for a show and I'm shaving my calories way down, now I want to eat like 40%, 50% of my calories from protein because I'm going to try to get the exact same protein, uh, but less carbon and fat. So it, protein, you want to kind of more or less be looking at absolute grams. And I typically recommend one pound um, uh, per I'm sorry, one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So like how much you should weigh for your height. So, you know, I'm 5'10", uh, ideal weight for 5'10 male is just, you know, 160 pounds. So I should eat, you know, one gram per pound or 160 grams of protein a day, roughly. And that amount will kind of stay the same, whether my calorie burn goes way up from cardio or way down because I'm cutting. Uh, it's kind of the same amount of protein, but that's my basic starting point recommendation for most people is a gram per pound of ideal body weight for height. Okay. But what if, okay, I get it. 
What if like I'm 6'1", 270 pounds. I'm at 13% body fat today. If you typed in what my ideal, and I've even done it back when I was uh, 215 pounds and riding a bike eight hours a day. And the doctor was like, you need to get to 185. And I was like, I am gaunt, dude. 185 is not in the cards for me. If you're, and and I'm thinking about um, like when I was morbidly obese. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I know I was over muscled simply because I was carrying around a much larger frame for a long time. And so if you're trying to calculate what the ideal is, can you go up from there? Just going like, maybe I'm not going to get to the, to the American standard of what is ideal. Oh yeah, sure. So for people who are really like mesomorphic and a lot more lean mass or ectomorphic and super skinny, a lot less, you can kind of go with, instead of ideal body weight for height, uh, you can go with ideal body weight, for your build and what you think you should weigh. Like, like, let's say, you know, 250 is you're like ripped and jacks fighting weight, your stage weight. Uh, then you just use that as a protein estimate instead of like what the bell curve, Gaussian distribution, normal distribution of the population says, which you've clearly like, you know, I have way more muscle than that. And so that wouldn't, the height thing is just for the prototypical average person walking around. Um, but you would definitely go with, you don't want to use how much you do weigh. Cause if you weigh like 600 pounds, you're not going to be able to eat 600 grams of protein, but you want to go with, you know, what you should weigh or what your ideal body weight was if you had perfect body composition. And so, yeah, in your case, you'd want to pick, you know, something like two. 60 or I don't know, you know, I'm 250 is right where I try to be. And, and, and to your, to your other point, um, when I'm doing maintenance, 
I, d- I do drop it down a little bit and not even intentionally, just because suddenly I'm, I'm getting a, a little bit more calories. And so I'm, I, you know, I just get a little bit looser, but it never really goes much lower than 250. Sometimes it's a little bit more, but not really below that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're, if you're eating way more food, if you're eating tons of calories, if you're bulking or something, um, <clears throat> the extra calories have a slight protein sparing effect. So you could actually get by with less protein. You could maybe do 0.8 grams per pound. Uh, and the converse is true. If you're cutting really hard and you're eating way less calories, uh, you end up burning a little bit of protein just for energy, what little bit of energy you can get from it. And it doesn't spare protein as much. So you might actually want to go up to 1.2 you know, grams per pound and go o- a little bit over. So you, you dial the, uh, it's basically one gram per pound of ideal body weight, uh, but you go like 0.8 to 1.2 based on, you know, you can go lower if you're eating a ton of extra calories, which spares protein. You want to go higher if you're really cutting the calories, which does not spare protein protein. So yeah, there's a wiggle room there, but it's, you know, roughly one gram per pound of ideal body weight is a really good starting point. This is great because I've always just, I've always for myself just gone uh, one pound per, but one gram per pound. And so, you know, at one point that was 300 grams a day and now it's around 250 and I, and I am a little heavier than 250, but 250 is where I want to be. So that makes more sense. And it, and it is difficult when you're thinking about somebody, if they're 500 pounds, that's like, I can't imagine how you eat that. That's four pounds of chicken breasts every day. You know what I mean? And yeah. whey and casein and some Greek yogurt, like that's so much. Yeah. Nobody can really do that. <laughs> yeah. You just get, you just, I mean, I, that's another thing where I, I can, could, I could foresee this being like, I just don't want to eat this much anymore. Like it's suddenly by volume four times the food than you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. This, uh, I don't think anybody can go that high or at least not for very long. <laughs> right. Right. That's amazing, dude. Um, yeah, I, I feel like this is the most hopeful diet simply because it really, you know, it's just the kind of a shift in perspective of what you're eating. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and, it, and it's even better than that because it's not, it's not like, I'm not telling people, okay, boom, tomorrow you're at 30% of calories from protein or maybe 50 or just some insane crazy thing. It's all about looking at where the protein to energy ratio of your diet is currently and just going up a little bit. Like it could just be like a tiny uh, sustainable mi- minor change. Like let's say you eat uh, donuts for breakfast right now. A donut is like sugar and flour and oil and it's about you know 6% protein. And you're gonna eat oatmeal, boom, that's like 12% protein. And you just double your protein percent. You're just gonna automatically eat half the calories from that meal. Like it's just gonna be way better satiety per calorie. Um, or if you're eating the oatmeal, okay, maybe you have like some steak and eggs or you go like uh, really lean steaks, sirloin and eggs, or you do like turkey bacon and eggs, or you do two eggs and two egg whites, or you throw in a bunch of green vegetables, which have an insanely high protein percent, like 40, 50%. Uh, and so like, you can just always just like bump it up incrementally in a, in a sustainable way. And so, so you could be like, okay, I just need to be a little higher than I was yesterday, right? And just like uh, bump it up a tiny little bit. And it's just kind of a way of looking at your whole diet and making these tiny little changes and substitutions where you're getting a little higher protein percent, a little bit less carbs, a little bit le- less fats, a little bit lower energy density. And it's all about making it sustainable and something you could do long-term. Like you're like, okay, could I long-term 
you know, trade in my donuts for breakfast for like oatmeal. Yeah, I could probably do that. You know, it's, you know, you're not going straight to egg whites and whey powder or hundred percent protein. You're, you're just making little substitutions where you're a little bit higher and you're just going to automatically eat less. And, and that's what it's all about. You get to eat whatever food you want. It doesn't matter what category of food it is. You don't have any religious rules. You're just trying to figure out some way to take that meal and make the protein a little higher and the carbon fats a little lower. Maybe that's you throw an extra chicken breast on your salad or a can of salmon or a can of tuna. Maybe you switch to an oil-free yogurt-based dressing, which is a little bit lower calories. Maybe instead of putting uh, regular cheese on it, you put like a low-fat cheese on it. You know, you just make these little tweaks and your protein percent goes up and you just automatically eat less calories. It's kind of magical. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And, and, uh, and again, anecdotal, but I've found... I struggled in the gym doing keto. I struggled at life doing super low calorie. Like when I would drop my calories down to below a thousand calories a day, it, it just, life was hard. Anything getting out of bed, walking around, anything was hard. Um, the most energy I've ever had has been when I'm hyper-focused on protein. And, and, and that, and that is like, when I'm going to the gym, I'm having some carbs before and after I go to the gym. And on a day that I don't go to the gym, I get a little extra fat and a little less carbs. And I feel fantastic. Like I don't feel deprived. I have energy. The food I'm eating isn't making me feel crappy the next day. You know, every once in a while, I will have like a container of enlightened ice cream, which is almost all carbohydrates even still. And I, I tend to feel a little crappy the next day, you know, um, but like when I am super focused on protein, I feel better. Yeah, I, I love that. And that's so true. And basically what happens is you just don't have to be as worried about carbs versus fat when your protein's high, you know, and I figured out the hard way. I was like, you know, uh, before I prior prioritized protein, I thought, oh, if I eat too many carbs, I'll have really low blood sugar a couple hours later and I'll get all shaky and be starving. And that used to happen to me. And that was true. But now I really, and I used to blame it on carbs. I was like, no, that's all carbs. But now I realized, oh, if I eat enough protein at that meal, I don't get hypoglycemic. Even if all the cal extra calories came from carbs versus fat or any combination in between, I get to be way more carb fat agnostic when my protein percent high. In fact, the whole carb fat thing just fades in the background. And, and like, like, don't get me wrong. I, you know, even fairly recently, I was just like a low carb, religious, dogmatic nutbag. I was like the lowest low carb person around. I was like super, you know, if low carbs good, well then high fats better. And then keto's the best. And like, uh, I'm going to, you know, not eat a tomato because it's got trace carbs in it and I'll just dump way more oil on everything. I mean, I was bad. I was like worse than anybody. Right. But, you know, thanks to like, I have, I have patients doing every nutty diet religion you could think of. And I literally watched people come in on these very strict ketogenic diets, sometimes even carnivore with almost no carbs at all, literally steadily getting fatter, getting more diabetic, A1C is going up, triglycerides going up, everything just getting worse and worse and worse. And I'm like, oh my God, the, you know, these people are like just starving for any amount of carbohydrate. And instead of just eating like, okay, I'll eat an apple or two, you know, I'll maybe eat a hundred grams of carbs a day. They just eat like, 10 pounds of macadamia nuts, right? right. It, in butter. And I'm like, holy crap. And you can literally just get, you know, I used to believe religiously like a, 
like a complete moron that you literally couldn't get fat on a zero carb diet. You Me literally too. Me I too. used to think it was religiously impossible to develop type two diabetes on a zero carbohydrate diet. And I have, thanks to my patients, thank you patients who are willing to try all this stuff and track everything. Uh, that's not true. You can literally just steadily get fatter and fatter and fatter. Every single bit of fat you ingest goes straight to your fat cells and stays there where you may or may not burn it off later, depending on how many grams of fat you're eating and how many grams of fat you're expanding and exercising. And it literally, you know, once the carbs are gone, it literally just comes to fat balance, fat grams you eat, fat grams you burn. If you're eating more than you're burning, you're just going to get fatter forever. It has nothing to do with carbs and insulin. And I didn't get that. Like I was, I was as bad as anybody, right? I have apologized, you know, yeah. but um, yeah, once you realize, oh, hey, it's this protein percent is the real driver here. Uh, the whole carb fat thing fades in the background. In fact, we have studies that really basically not really prove, but strongly suggest that the whole magic of carbohydrate restriction is increasing protein percentage. And, and, and like, you know, I would see, okay, right. You have all these stories where people drop their carbs and they have all this weight loss and it's awesome. It's amazing. But for every one of those stories, somebody else uh, somewhere else did a low fat diet and had the exact same transformation and the exact same outcome. And then I, you know, I eventually realized, oh, well, when you drop fat or carbs, what you've done is increase the protein percent, lower the energy density, increase the nutrient density. It's basically just protein energy ratio went up no matter what, whether you cut carbs or fat. And then I'm like, oh, the real smart move is to cut them both. And oh, hey, bodybuilders have known this for a hundred years. It really just comes down to protein and calories. And they're not super worried about carbs versus fat, except you don't want to go to zero on e either because that's horrible for just how you feel. And that, oh, carbs might actually be good for ergogenic and a better workout in the gym and like, you know, a little bit better exercise performance. So like, you know, I think that I <laughs> was as guilty as anyone else of having a religious, religious mystical aura around carbohydrate restriction. When it turns out that it's basically like, uh, eat some less carbs, but eat some less fat at the same time. And it's, you know, equally good. Yeah. I, 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 I think if I was you and I had patients coming in when I was very dogmatic about zero carbs and I saw them gaining weight, I would have thought they were lying. You know, I would have just said like, you're, you're, you're eating popcorn or spaghetti and not telling me like you're, 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 you're lying to me. And it took me a while to understand, like, I think the, the magical selling point of no carb is that there is a moment in the beginning where you can in a caloric surplus actually weigh less on the scale because your body is purging itself of water. Um, but you're not actually getting thinner you're just dehydrating. And so, you know, you can eat 20,000 calories from bacon. And if you had carbs the day before and no carbs with your bacon or bacon's bad because that's got sugar in it, ribeyes, right? I used to say seven ribeyes a day, but I think if for a lot of people, three ribeyes is a, a caloric surplus, right? Three big ribeyes is like over 3000 calories. And if you're a hundred and 50 or 70 pound girl, that's too, probably too much. And so you eat your three ribeyes in a day and you're losing weight on the scale and you're going like, oh my God, this is a miracle. I ate so much steak yesterday. It's amazing. I ate every last bit of gristle and fat. And then you get to like week two and suddenly you start to put on weight and you're like, but I've just been eating the steaks. And by the way, you said macadamia nuts. I used to go to Trader Joe's and get a bag of macadamia nuts and eat them like they were popcorn because it was all fat. 
and wonder why I wasn't losing weight. You know what I mean? Like, this is not a good strategy at all, but it is a good selling point because everybody loses weight in the beginning. I know. Absolutely. You're right. Everyone, boom, loses like 10, 20 pounds, like just instantly. And um, part of it's the higher protein percent, part of it's the glycogen depletion and the water loss and all that. Yeah. But then everyone just put the whole low carb world loses 20 pounds instantly and plateaus out there forever or just slowly creeps up because uh, humans have a very real hunger for carbohydrate. We have an appetite for a certain amount of carbohydrate. And if you're trying to eat absolutely none, you end up in your pantry at like 10 o'clock at night, like just grazing on your, you know, like I was eating, I would buy three pound bags of macadamia nuts. Like I, like honestly, before I figured this out, I just walked around, you know, uh, like five body fat percent higher just from my nut addiction. Right. I would just like, uh, you know, I was, I realized now that I was just trying to get the little bit of carbohydrate out of these nuts because I was starving for carbs. Right. And now if I just eat like an apple or something, I'm good. I can literally eat hundreds of calories less by, you know, fulfilling that with uh, apple instead of like just trying to eat the three pound bag of macadamia nuts. And so, yeah, like low carb. I mean, I, I love some carbohydrate restriction Everybody should be reducing their carbohydrates somewhat. Uh, half of all the extra calories from the obesity epidemic did come from carbohydrate. So there's like this nugget of truth to low carb, which just makes it really pervasive because it's sort of true. And so, but then everyone's like, oh, if, if sort of reducing your carbs is good, the best is going all the way to zero. And then we'll just eat all the fat we want. And then kaboom, like yeah, now keto is like just a death sentence. It's just destroyed, right? And especially when you have like, I don't, I remember the, I, I went through this phase where I was like very strict and then it devolved into making bagels out of pork rinds and cream cheese. You know what I mean? And, and like, I remember eating this going like, how, I don't know, how am I, I'm not losing weight, but I'm convinced I'm going to lose weight eating this. And yet I'm not losing weight. It, the whole thing is crazy. It's crazy. We were all there, man. I was eating the pork rinds. I was breading stuff with pork rinds. I was like, just as I was probably worse than you were like, come on, man. This happened to a lot of people. And, and I really think it's because I just didn't understand it and I didn't know any better. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to uh, evolve and be a little bit less wrong than I was before. Uh, but so the, the answer is always somewhere in between. You really yeah. never want to go zero, anything, a hundred percent, anything else. And it's definitely in between, but like, I, I do think that if you zoom way, way out, this protein to energy ratio way is probably the single best metric to look at overall. I mean, if it's not, I want somebody to tell me what is, because I think it is this sort of protein to non-protein energy concept. Yeah. I, well, I, this is, I, I think I found this, what, what you're doing, I found it literally through watching bodybuilders because I, you look at bodybuilders and you go like, that guy's always dieting and he's also eating so much food. So how is this working? Like what's going on there? And they look great. You know, some of them look cartoonish, but, but like the principle is there that that guy is losing the weight I want to lose. I want to lose body fat. I don't want to lose lean tissue. Right. So what's he doing? And all they're doing is eating a ton of protein. Like that is their main focus, you know? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And if the protein percent's high enough, they don't even have to worry about the calories because they're just automatically not going to eat too many. So mm -hmm. yeah, the protein percent is just huge. If you look at all your just ripped and jack permaline, you know, athlean X people walking around protein's, you know, 
at least 35% of their calories, maybe 40%, you know, maybe even 45%, like pretty much 100% of the time. And they just automatically get the highest lean mass and lowest fat mass as long as they're doing resistance exercise. So uh, it really does seem to be magical. There are these protein percents that are just magical for phenotypes or the outcome of your body composition. So like, you know, obesogenic rat chow, when you try to formulate something to make rats and mice in the lab as fat as possible, you intentionally hold the protein way down at like, you know, 10%. Um, you, you want carbon fat to be, you know, 45% each kind of equal, really high energy density, like just butter or lard or soybean oil or sugar. And, you know, uh, but you want this 10% protein, because they're just going to maximally overeat on it. Uh, and then you get, you know, like, you know, humans, if you can get up to about 20% protein, uh, you're going to lose some weight. So like, if you look at the national weight loss registry where everyone lost all this weight and kept it off, uh, the one thing they all have in common is they got protein up to like 19, 20% of their calories and kept it there. And then if you look at, you know, people have cured their type two diabetes, it's basically 30% and all your bodybuilders are up here at 40%. And, um, in the lab, you give animals a 50% protein diet and you just get the thinnest, most ripped and jacked, you know, lab animals you can find. And so there's just this very powerful, very real, uh, ad lib caloric intake differences at these different protein percentages. It's a little confusing because if you go below 10%, it starts going backwards on this U-shaped curve. If you get down to like 5% protein, um, people just kind of stop eating because that you're, body just gives up. It's so pointless, right? So like your uh, fruititarian uh, vegans eating, you know, raw, your raw vegan is, you know, eating fruit is like a 5% protein diet and they get really thin because they just don't eat very much, but their lean mass is also really low. Like the weight of all their organs, including their brain goes down and their bone density goes down and their muscle mass goes down and you get sarcopenia and osteopenia and all this stuff you don't really want, but like basically from anywhere from like 10 to 50% protein, very huge scalability with like body composition outcomes and body fat percentages. It's probably the single most powerful metric anyone has. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. Last question. And, and, and uh, I'm not a super conspiracy theory guy, really. I think they're m more entertaining than something I'm going to get super bent out of shape over. But um, do you not ever get like frustrated looking around and going like they're pumping all this fat and sugar into stuff? You've got um, corn, soy, and and beef are super subsidized, probably wheat too. I don't know. And and then there's like the double whammy where it's like every week there's a new drug to control cholesterol, to control this. I heard there's some new um, hunger drug that's being on trials right now. So it's like, okay, great. Again, we're now going to be able to possibly continue eating McDonald's and not gain weight because we're going to be taking these shots from our doctor or something like that. And it just seems like this cycle of, um, I don't know if it's government graft or whatever it is, but like well, the more unhealthy we are, people are making money. Like it, it feels conspiratorial to me. <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's like we're subsidizing the stuff that basically makes us the fattest. And then big pharma is like making just obscene amounts of money on the other side. And I honestly, I think it's just pure economics. Like, I really think like if companies could get just spectacularly wealthy 
by selling protein. And that's what everyone was just spending huge amounts of cash on. I think they would do that too. So I honestly don't think someone's conspiring to make everyone super fat and sick. I think it's more just pure economics. Like if there was a drug that made you just like super elite healthy, like just ripped and jacked, you know, crossfitting God, um, they would sell that drug. And so there, I don't think anyone's conspiring to make us like sick and fat. I think it's just pure economics. And if we paid just trillions of dollars for a drug that made us ripped and jacked, like if you had a drug that did what, like lifting and cardio and exercise did for you, uh, they'd be selling that and making money. Uh, and if like protein, if people were just clamoring for protein and they're all just ripped and jacked like bodybuilders and they were just, just drinking whey shake protein, protein, um, then like that would be all over the place too. So I think it's purely economic. I don't think there's any kind of like tinfoil hat conspiracy but i think right now the economics are driving it the wrong direction and it literally is a downward spiral where we're just getting fatter and sicker and more drugs in this like horrible exact reverse direction from what we want and again pure economics but really headed the wrong way fast and in a downward spiral and the the really sad part is as people get fatter their protein percentage requirement goes up because you trash more of your protein for gluconeogenesis. So the more fat and insulin resistant you get, the higher your protein percent target needs to be. And that is why obesity keeps accelerating and has not plateaued out yet. If, uh, if it was just like, okay, we diluted all of our foods from 30% protein down to 12% protein, we're done. Everyone would gain a certain amount of weight and then just obesity would plateau off there. But no, as you get larger and fatter and more insulin resistant, your protein, now you need like higher and higher and higher amounts of absolute protein and protein percentage to stay weight stable, but you're still eating the protein dilute food. And that is why obesity hasn't plateaued out yet. So it's, we're in this really bad pattern and it's not, it's not going to end well. It's not, it's not going well at the moment. It's not, no, it's not. I hope, um, I hope people try this, you know, because I, I think like these diet fads, these religious positions come along and and I get hopeful like okay well planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If keto is real easy and everybody's going to lose a ton of weight doing keto, then maybe the problem solved and everybody's going to be fine because, you know, we're going to start having, uh, what is it? Um, lettuce wrap burgers at McDonald's. Right. But even that's got a ton of carbs in it, to be honest with you, but, but some, something like that. And then you go like, no, we're still by and large getting more and more obese. And, and the, uh, the side effects of that are getting out of hand and, you know, childhood obesity and type two diabetes, which is for when, when I was a kid, type two diabetes was for older people, um, you know, and the distinction they would make between type one and type two is juvenile. They'd call juvenile that because no kids got type two diabetes. And now tons of mm-hmm. kids are getting type two diabetes. So they're going to have to change the names of these things because lots of kids have type two diabetes now, which is crazy. Yeah, it's a it's disaster. It's an epidemic. It's a complete nightmare. Uh, you know, 52 percent of adult Americans are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Um, kids are catching up rapidly uh complete nightmare i mean it's real good for uh it, it's job security for me as a primary care doctor like right <laughs> so uh but it's terrible. and for the pharmaceutical companies like they'll just keep making drugs and mcdonald's will keep selling us their big macs and their french fries and like and 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 but but like imagine if if everybody you know if people started catching on to it because like a, a you know a chicken breast and broccoli it doesn't taste as good as a Big Mac, but like if I can have a Big Mac a couple of times a year, but mostly eat chicken breasts and green vegetables or salmon or, you know, I'm saying chicken breast because when I think about it, I think it's the leanest, but there's there's tons of other lean meat. You know, you can get like 97 slash three ground beef at the store. That's super, super lean. You make a mm-hmm. hamburger out of that. It's delicious. You can have all this stuff if you're just hyper-focused on protein. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about those substitutions. Exactly. And eat your burger, just get the high, you know, the low fat, get the low carb bun, you know, just make these little substitutions where the protein's higher, carbs and fats are a little lower. And and basically there, there's three steps, you know, step one, get the protein percent higher. Step two, make sure your carbs and fats are lower energy density. So instead of like sugar and oil, you want your carbs coming from, you know, fruit and vegetables and your fats come from like eggs and salmon. So, uh, you know, higher protein percent, lower energy density carbs and fats. And then the, the real big one is avoid the high energy density carbs and fats together, the donuts and the pizza and the candy bars, and because that's just going to massively drive overeating. And so I think if people just, you know, understand that these are the the, the the biggest levers they can pull, the biggest rocks in the diet jar, uh, and just make some little substitutions in this direction. The, <clears throat> the return on investment is huge. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, even to that point, like I'll occasionally, um, you know, when I travel or something like that, we'll eat a couple of pure protein protein bars. And even then, I'm hungry much quicker than if I have the same amount of protein, the same amount of carbs, the same amount of fat in a whole food meal. You know what I mean? It just is the way it works. Absolutely. And that, that's brilliant. And that's, uh, that's the importance of energy density right there. So your, your protein bar is, you know, 30% protein, maybe 40%. It's pretty solid there, but it's also very high energy density. It's about four calories per gram versus like your tub of light and fit, 
Greek yogurt that's low carbon, low fat, that's about a half a calorie per gram. So, you know, you can eat the entire freaking tub of Greek yogurt at half calorie per gram, and you're not hungry again for the rest of your life. Or you eat the protein bar that's, you know, four calories per gram. So you're like starving right after. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can eat 10 protein yeah, bars. In no a problem. Sure. So I literally have to be careful with those. So it's, it's a, even protein percent, it's not the whole story. It's, it's most of it. It's like step one, high protein percent. Step two, lower energy density, Greek yogurt over the protein bar. And then step three, of course, is avoiding, you know, what I call in the book, the trifecta, high carb, high fat, high energy density altogether, which is your donuts and pizza and candy bars and you yeah. know, that kind of thing. I mean, that to me is like a, a no brainer. Like uh, I need to lose weight. These are the things I'm not going to eat at least for a while and not in abundance or, you know, make them super, super rare. Um, what you're talking about. Like I, I, I really eat that stuff almost never now simply because like, I don't feel good after I eat it. I, I I'm either hungry right away or I feel crappy and I don't want to feel that way. Yeah. And I, I don't think people realize just how powerful it is. Like we have these, we have these cafeteria diet studies in lab rodents, lab, you know, rats and mice, where they literally just feed them human junk food. And these studies are amazing. They like um, look at the macros of all these like like hilariously common junk food, like you know, barbecue potato chips and little debbies and nutter butters and like you know, ho ho, like you Oreos and you have all these foods, and they're all about 10% protein, 45% each carbs and fats, super high energy density, four or five, six calories per gram. And every single lab animal, omnivore mammal, will just immediately overeat by about 40% of calories and just boom, just get massively obese and diabetic and they just eat and eat and eat and eat and eat. And that literally nothing else will fatten them as fast as just a human junk food cafeteria diet with these amazing like high energy density, low protein, high carb, high fat foods. And so it's not just you, it's, it's, every, we're just wired that way. Like, like animals are wired that way. Everybody will get fatter on these foods. And that's why you cannot, you either have to avoid them completely if you, if it's really triggering an addiction or just be super intentional. Like I'm only going to eat one and I'm only going to do it after I already ate like my entire tub of Greek yogurt. So I can actually stop at one. Um, and you got to be super careful with those. They're dangerous. That's actually a great um, strategy. Uh, be, and and I've, I've utilized that. Um, I don't know that I've used Greek yogurt, but I have used I, my go to is chicken breast, like just boneless, skinless chicken breast, because I've got a refrigerator full of them and I can just eat it. And I'll be going out to dinner with my wife and I know we're going to go to a place where it's like there's a lot of stuff there that I'm really going to want to eat that in this moment, I don't want to eat. And if I eat a chicken breast or two, I can have a perfectly fine night and take a bite of stuff and not be compelled to eat the whole thing. Like lean protein at the head of a meal is also a helpful way to not overeat. I think. Oh, no, absolutely. You're not only are you completely correct, but we have these protein preload studies where they give people like a, a food and then two hours later, they hit the buffet and eat as much as they want and they weigh and measure the food. Protein is the best preload by a mile. So anyone who preloads with protein two hours before hitting the buffet is just going to automatically eat hundreds of fewer calories. Um, carb, not a good preload. Fat, not a good preload. Carb and fat together really bad preload uh, you're gonna just automatically eat way more like if you eat a candy bar two hours before you hit the buffet uh, but the very worst is alcohol so like you drink alcohol and two hours later you're just 
really it basically displaces all the fuels in your bloodstream it's so volatile and such a high uh, priority macronutrient you have to burn it all off first and so like you're just super starving two hours later and it's bad yeah amazing ted thank you so much oh no man thanks for having me great to talk to you great to talk to you too this was awesome and now for the q a today's question is from adam hi adam he says, I just want to thank you for your podcast. Since June of 2021, I've been going pretty hard with the weight loss. He went from 364 to 246. Wow, that's awesome. So awesome. It's like 120 pounds. That's incredible. Yeah. He says, following a calorie in, calorie out, clean keto. I was worried about cholesterol. Anyway, it was nice. I finally found something that worked so well for my body. He says, um, I enjoyed the festive season off of diet and did maintenance till about halfway through February and now just running a small calorie deficit and got back to lifting weights. He says, I'm still doing a keto-based diet. Enough blabbing about me. I've got a question. <laughs> he says, what is your take on how much protein a person can digest in one meal? I thought it was 60 grams from back in the day, but now the Google machine is telling me it's 20 grams, which really fucks up my meal plans as I would have to divide all my meals in half and eat twice as often. So basically he's asking your take on how much protein a person can digest in one meal. Yeah, I, I think the amount of protein that a person can digest in one meal is best found when you have a protein source you like that agrees with you and you eat so much of it, some gastrointestinal disturbance occurs. Okay. That for me is how I go like that. That's or you're eating it and you suddenly are not just full, but like grossed out by it. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like I can take a bite of a chicken breast and it's delicious on my third chicken breast. I can be like, this is gross <laughs> yeah. and I've had enough. Mm -hmm. um, or likewise, there are some protein sources that uh, I, you know, if I get to the end of the day and I go like um, this, this day was screwed up. I got to sit down and eat a pound of salmon or something like that to finish out my day. There have been occasions where it will give me gas, but I think, um, I would just ignore what Google's saying. Uh, mm. you know, I think there is something to nutritional timing. You know, if you're, like maybe a bot, an actual bodybuilder and going like, I need, you know, to wake up in the middle of the night and drink whey protein or casein protein or something like that, or go eat sliced fat free turkey breast or something. Then maybe you can get into how many grams, but I would tell you every one of those bodybuilders is eating way more than 20 grams at a meal. I mean, a scoop of whey protein powder has 25 grams of protein in it. Mm -hmm. Usually. Um, uh, if, if I'm eating around 250 grams of protein a day. So what you're saying, I have to eat 25 meals, right? Oh no, that would be 10. So I have to eat 12 meals. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So no, I would, I would ignore that and just go off what, what agrees with me and my body. And, you know, I get mine in six meals and two of those meals are one is whey protein and one is casein protein. Um, and that's each of those have more than 20 grams of protein in them. Right. Good. Okay. That's, 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 that's what I say. I like it. Listen yeah. to your body. Yeah. Perfect. Well, thanks for that. <laughs> I don't know why I have giggles today. I'm sorry. If you have a question you would like Ethan to answer here on this podcast, you can email it to us at AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee. You can follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>